Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. This podcast is brought to you by Super Rewards. Grow your super with your everyday spend. Yuma Frugalistas, and welcome. Today I have a special guest, and of course, all of my guests are special. This guest is someone who has a vision for reducing inequality and improving the abundance of all Australian women. But first, I have a favour to ask of you. If you enjoy this podcast and find it useful for you, please pay it forward by sharing with a friend. And even better, please follow the Joyful Frugalista podcast. Pascal Hellier-Moré is an entrepreneur and startup queen. Among her many roles is as founder and CEO of Super Rewards, an online platform that enables you to grow your super while shopping for what you love. She is also founder of Style Rocks, a custom fine jewellery website allowing people to design their own jewellery. So welcome, Pascal. Thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Honestly, the pleasure is mine and I'm such a fan of what you do. And of course, there are so many things that we could talk about because I know we have lots of areas of shared passion and interest. But I thought we might start talking about the gender pay gap because I know that's something that you are deeply passionate about as well. So what is the problem with the gender pay gap? And in fact, is there a problem at all? Because there's still some people who think that there isn't a problem with it. (laughs) Yes, this is the the multi-million, if not billion dollar question. The gender pay gap looks at the the difference in remuneration between men and women on a per industry basis as measured by not their dollar per hour, but as measured by their that gender's participation in that sector. So, for example, there are some sectors such as financial services where the gender pay gap is really high. It's close to 30% when, when last measured. And that's simply a function of the fact that you've got so many more men rather than women working in financial services, for example. Equally, the fact that men tend to work full-time and women tend to work full and part-time. It's uh, a representation of just that gender's economic participation in that particular sector. Now, the gender pay gap in other sectors is, for example, really low. So or it, it's a narrow gap, we should say. So, for example, in healthcare services, primarily because there are so many women in healthcare, nurses and, and, and so on, and also because they tend to, working part-time is almost the norm in that industry, mm-hmm. then that, that's the reason for the, the fact that their gender pay gap is so low. Now, the gender pay gap has, and you're absolutely right, there are many people who still do not believe that this exists, right? So it's it's not about measuring equal pay. It's looking at economic participation per gender. A lot of people don't believe that the gender pay gap exists, and that's quite a, just a scary thing because it's, to me anyway, because it's just a, a denial of reality, right? And just to give you a sense of what the gender pay gap currently stands, as an average mm-hmm. across all industries of mining, financial services, retail, healthcare, et cetera, et cetera, the gender pay gap in Australia stands at around 22%. 
when you take all the components of earnings and, and work into account. So on a pure pay-by-pay basis or salary basis, it's it's around 14%. But once you throw in things like overtime, bonuses, and so on, the gap is actually 22%. Now, that is interesting in and of itself. But what is, from where I sit, far more fascinating is that people have, for the majority, let's say, I don't know, 95% of people, have not extrapolated that if there's a gender pay gap, then there will be a gender super gap. Yeah, yeah. One leads to the other, doesn't it? When you go to retire, suddenly you don't have as much money. Correct. Now, I'm not saying that the gender pay gap is wholly and solely for the gender super gap, where women retire with roughly half as much superannuation as men. But it is one of the components of the gender super gap. So the other components are, for example, the the fact that more women work part-time than full-time. And also another key component, and this is always the, the stat that blows my mind, if you look at the cohort of women in Australia aged 18 to 64, so in that retirement you know, accumulation phase of their lives, there's a whopping great big 40% who are not in the workforce. And this is, this is the thing. It's these three things. So gender pay gap, the, the kinds of work that the different genders do, so more part-time for women and more full-time for men. And the fact that women are not in the workforce for various periods of, periods of time, you know, having children, perhaps they're looking after the elderly, et cetera. And together, these three drivers are the key components of the gender super gap, where women retire with roughly enough super for about six years of retirement living, but then they live another 14 years after that. There is so much to unpack there, but let's see if I can get this right. <laughs> So on average, women retire with only half the amount of super as men. Is that right? Right. 56%. Mind you, this is a pre-COVID number. I'm quoting a pre-COVID number only because it hasn't been measured post-COVID. And the reason I'm talking about COVID when we all had hoped it was long (laughs) done and dusted is the fact that if you think about what happened during COVID, you had people were able to access their super, right? That's right. In two tranches, right, of, of 10,000 and then 10,000. Now, the problem with that is that more women than men access their super. And we know that more women accessed all of that, that which was available to them. So my fear, my take, and, you know, we'll see when the, the data comes out in, I guess, a few years' time, is that that gap is actually going to, that 56% number is actually going to be, it's going to drop. So maybe it'll drop to 50%, who knows, but women essentially, and I'm talking broad brushstrokes, no longer have as much in the super kitty as a gender because of COVID as they did previously. Yeah, I'd almost forgotten about what had happened there. And I say that because I feel like I have COVID brain sometimes. I don't have long COVID, but I think there was just so many things that was just so fast moving during that period of time. I feel like I've almost forgotten. But just to put it on record, I actually did access some money during from my super during that time. Now, I didn't do it because I was in any form of financial distress in any way. I didn't touch my main super at all, but I have a small account because as a public servant, I, I there was there were limits on the amount I can contribute. So I had a very small additional account. And to be honest, I was actually curious because I had been reading so much in the media 
about this and there was something I had to write about this problem. And so I actually went through it and what really amazed me was how easy it was. It was ridiculously easy and it was ridiculously quick. And when I compared that with the other forms of support that were available, I could immediately see why people were using it. And what I was also hearing too, that when I said, look, I I just, and I only took a small amount out, like I said, it was sort of a a little bit of an experiment, is the amount of people who admitted that they didn't trust the super system. Wow. And that they would rather take the money out, even when the share market was low, than have it there. Is this something that you come across a lot, particularly with women, not trusting the super system? Not not really. I find that doing what we do and me talking to the groups of women that, that I do, the more shocking fact for women I speak to is the learning that the system, we'll call it, or this, you know, the super system did not consider their work-life patterns and that they mm. are... Without intervening, you know, in their own financial future, that they are not going to be okay in retirement. That is actually the more shocking realization for them. They, they say, well, hang on now. Well, firstly, how much, how much will, am I going to need in retirement? And what do you mean that no one else is thinking about this? Like, why, why am I not being looked after? You know, looked after as in why hasn't this been calculated and taken into account? So I think it's just more for the women I speak to, the realisation that that the super system is inherently and, and has always been inherently one-sided in favour of you know, men's work-life patterns, but that the fact that women don't work the whole way through, that it wasn't thought about at all, and then that it hasn't been completely remedied. That That is the more shocking fact for my for my audience. Yeah, that's an interesting one because it was so revolutionary. When did it come in? The early 90s, I think, wasn't it? It was a, yeah, it was a Keating right. initiative. And actually, I do remember having a job, I think, in 93, and a lot of employers were still a bit funny about super, like, you know, we've got to pay this additional kind of charge. <laughs> they didn't like it at all. And, you know, it never really occurred to me to think about this. And I, and I guess I wasn't even really thinking of time off in my career, even though I was female. It was sort of something that wasn't talked about. You were just expected to be a superwoman oh. and just do everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, yes, I know. But uh, I, I, I can hand on heart tell you that as sort of as I've unpacked the story and explained the gender super gap and explained how much people need and then there is this horrible moment when I'm presenting, you know, either on web or, you know, in person, when I sort of do some very like back of the envelope maths and I say, look, you know, a budget retirement, which is it's pretty budgeted, is, you know, it's about $30,000 a year. It, it was 25000 right, for a single person. It does assume home, home ownership. I was going to say, the- because not everyone's going to achieve home ownership. No. So the, this is the other thing to be aware of is that when – when you go to various websites, you know, government websites, and they talk about how much you need per year in retirement, there are two things to watch out for. There's a number quoted for if you're part of a couple, and then there's a different number quoted for if you're a single. But then the other thing to watch out for is that these numbers, whether they're for single or a couple, assume 100% home ownership, i.e. there is no mortgage repayment or factored in or, or rent factored in into those budgets. Big assumption. Anyway, back to the story. So I often, yeah, you know, I'll do, okay, let's do some back of the envelope maths, everyone. You'll need 30,000 years just to keep the lights on, eat baked beans. And, <laughs> you know, you'll probably live, uh, the, the average Australian woman dies at 85. So if you retire at 65, that's 20, 20 years. 
and then you can see the the the, the maths going on behind their eyes mm -hmm. and they go oh so that's six hundred thousand and then and then you see another set of cogs whirring as they go oh I haven't got anything close to that mm-hmm and then this, it's generally at this point that you start to see a few tears appear in the eyes, right? Because it, you know, it is that realization that, oh dear, oh dear, maybe, maybe I'm going to be really struggling on this front. Yeah. And then coupled with that too, the shocking statistics about homelessness for women over 50, right. uh, women over yeah. 55 being the, the largest cohort as well. So this owning your own home being a key assumption with these numbers to start with. I think it's so dangerous. <laughs> I, do, I really do think it's so dangerous, but that's just me. But you were doing something about it. so I'm doing something about it because I got tired of looking <laughs> at women crying. <laughs> or, or I'll rephrase that. I got tired of making women cry. <laughs> so how, well, 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 let's not ask. Well, actually, let's do how, So how did you make women cry? So how were you speaking to so many women about superannuation in the first place? Okay, so I, I was involved in, uh, you mentioned my, my you know, startup career. One of the previous startups was a startup which was in the super space. And it, it was looking at the gender super gap, etc. And so I did a heck of a lot of presenting, right? And there's, when I've made the women cry, right? <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. Um, that's right. And I'm standing there feeling like the reaper. Uh, what, I, what I found was that there was no, no medicine to offer them right? So to speak. There was no comfort. There was no, you know, yes, I, you know, I can say things like, oh, so you might want to review super fund fees, check your fund's performance, blah, blah, blah. But you can see that largely what I, those, you know, recommendations, not that I'm a financial advisor, but those recommendations were falling on largely deaf ears because they're like, oh, I'm kind of terrified. And all this sounds so complicated and I haven't got the capacity or bandwidth, et cetera. Right. That was that particular experience but it was it was then so that was the beginning of the knowledge for me right and the next part of the knowledge was another startup I was involved in was the Australian Gender Equality Council which is a not-for-profit dedicated to researching and trying to influence the state of gender equality or rather gender inequality in Australia and it was I was director of communications during my time with the council that I was just looking at various facts and figures and you know we, we did research with the University of Queensland and, and so on. So, and I was just, I, I couldn't believe, you know, the, the amount of trolling I was, I was getting because I was handling the socials mm -hmm. about, oh, the gender pay gap doesn't exist, would write troll number one. Women should just shut up and stop complaining, would say troll number two. Do women really think that looking after kids is work, would say troll number three. And it was very, it was very frustrating. And because we were trying to lobby government, the the other thing that I saw a lot of was that, you know, just the time taken to get a meeting, have the meeting, and then there'd be a change of government or something. So long story short, increasing and in record numbers of women are moving into homelessness because of this deficient system, and yet no one's doing anything. Mm. And so I'm observing all this and then I came across the the stats where it was very clear that, as I mentioned earlier, if you think about the cohort of women in that phase of life where they're trying to build up their super, 40% of them are not in the workforce. And I, I looked at these stats and I went, hang on, if 40% aren't in the workforce, 
then how do they add to their super during this time, right? And 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 why why are government and industry telling women that to solve their issues they should just top up? Show me the money tree that they're going to top up their super with, and I'm going to show you a liar because <laughs> it doesn't exist. And you know, and, women and, are, and they've reduced the co-contribution quite a lot as well. Sure. The the only benefit I think is if you put in one thousand, you'll get. 500 back I think and that's that's, right. that's it right. like it used to be a lot more that's, yes and I was I was also looking at various you know the latest Hilda report which is the household income labor dynamics of Australia report and I was looking at a number of things and I thought wow like women are trapped right they're they're trying maybe they're trying to get back into the workforce after kids but particularly at this time it's you know corporate Australia is, doesn't have the flex to to accommodate that Remember, this is pre-COVID, okay, when all of a sudden everybody learned how to work from home. And it was quite <laughs> anyway, so this was pre-COVID. So workforces aren't don't have the flex to accommodate women, particularly working wanting to work full-time, uh, part-time. We're not supporting women. And not only that, like the, the time, as measured by this Hilda report, that they spend on domestic duties is just so far and and outweighs that which the man does that actually these women are trapped like they're they're caught between the kids the household responsibilities and works or or, or not I thought there has to be a re and compiled with my own experience where I've just seen so many and heard so many conversations around oh you know do I go back to work because if I go back to work then I'll be sending family unit backwards to the tune of 500 bucks a week or, or yeah, whatever. True, true, because the cost of childcare is so expensive. And of course, childcare educators, they need to be paid as well. Oh, of course. Yeah. At the council, we produced some research or we, we were referencing some research which showed that the cost of two children in full time childcare was actually greater than the average full time wage for an Australian woman. I so, believe I believe that that's my life, and, lived experience, yeah, and no one wants to send the family unit backwards economically. So all all of a sudden, it started to make so much sense why why the percentage of women not in the workforce was so high. And and by the way, in comparison to the US, our forty percent in the US, it's it's closer to low twenties. Okay, so we're not doing it well. Whatever we're doing, we're not doing it well. And so I thought, look, there has to be another way. Women are, are stuck between a rock and a hard place. They're burdened with this endless responsibility of caring for others. They're not being encouraged or, or being given the right systems and incentives to get back into the workplace, into the workforce. What can we do? Because actually, if we put a dollar value on all the unpaid work, all the caring and the, the domestics and the blah, 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 we'd add another 2.2 trillion, trillion with a T, to the economy every year. I thought there has to be an easier way. So I drew on my experience of e-commerce and startup and so on, and I thought we just need to bring affiliate marketing to superannuation so that every time I buy pet food or I you know, buy the kids' school clothes or whatever, then I'm being rewarded into my super for doing so. Fabulous. So that is the genesis super rewards. Now, why is it especially important to keep contributing to super even during those downtimes? So say, for instance, someone's got two years that they're taking out of their career to look after their kids. 
So why not just contribute to their husbands? Like why is it important to contribute to theirs as well? Well, there's a couple of answers I'm going to give to that. So firstly, we all hope, right, for for those of us who are married or partnered, we all hope that we're going to end up in retirement with that same person. But you may not. So I think it's really important to keep contributing to your own superannuation pot regardless because you never know what the future may bring. And whilst we hope for the best, we should plan for the worst. The other uh, reason that it's really important, and particularly, uh, you know, after the protecting your super legislation that, that came in, is if, and a lot of people don't, aren't aware of this, following the PYS legislation, if you stop contributions to your super fund for a period of 16 months, and, and let's say, and we use the example two years, so that's a, you know, if you've had, if you're on um, maternity leave, what happens is that the ATO retrieves your super balance from your super fund and takes it back to the ATO for safeguard. Wow. And does it earn interest? Does it compound? No, here's the thing. So now this this legislation, just to give context, was introduced as a following the Royal Commission in you know 2019 because what was happening or what the commission found was that so many super accounts, right, which is our own hard-earned money were being eroded by fees and they were, you know, they they were effectively dormant accounts. People had forgotten about them or or whatnot, but the value of those accounts was was dropping every year because, you know, of fee erosion. So this piece of legislation says, okay, well, the ATO is basically going to safeguard your money to stop it being eroded by fees until its owner can be reunited with it. But at the same time, it's not being managed as an investment. You're not seeing any growth and you're not seeing any any loss. It's just being ring-fenced and put to the side. So this is the second reason why you should even, and this is the beauty of super awards, you know, you just need to use super awards once and have it paid to, to your superannuation fund and that will keep your account active and stop it from being removed and taken to the ATO. And then what happens to all those things like insurances and so forth that you might think you have as part of your super scheme? Well, that, that's exactly it. That's another part of the PYS legislation is that, and, and also another reason why the, the super balance would be taken to the ATO because insurances, a lot of people have insurances with their super, but they don't, again, they don't realise it. So contributing to your super as a result of using super awards is going to help those insurances remain intact be in place rather than being cancelled so because that's a position you don't necessarily want to find yourself in is that you think you've got the super insurance yeah exactly but you haven't been making contributions the insurance has been cancelled and you've been busy with i don't know life or, or whatever and then one day you go to to access it and it's not there because there have not been any contributions and so how does super rewards work so you said that you you grow your super as you save so how how does it function so it's, it's, it's how you grow your super with your everyday spend. So I become a Super Awards member. Super Awards has 500 of Australia's leading online retailers. And I'm uh, going to throw out a few names. Catch, eBay, Apple, The Iconic, even Energy Australia. So you come to the, the platform. It's free to join. No ongoing charges. You sign up to the platform. And then when you spend with any of those participating retailers they pay 
a portion of your purchase into your super. So for example, let's say you spend $100 at Country Road. Country Road will pay $4 of that purchase into your super account through Super Awards. Wow. So you're not paying anything extra. Correct. And I, and I want to make this really clear because people go, oh, how is this possible? What is what is this magic thing that <laughs> that's happening here? So what it what it is, is effectively the Country Road pays the Super Awards a commission, right, for directing traffic, for dr- directing sales, and we share that commission with the user. Wow. It, when, we're not talking about a points-adjusted environment, like you're still on the Country Road web or Big W website or whatever. You can still buy things on sale. You, you can still earn Country Road rewards. It is simply a commission paid to us and shared with you for directing on online traffic, basically. But with the, I've been talking about the online world, but as we were saying prior to this recording, we now offer in-store. So when you shop, when I when I say shop, I mean spend. <laughs> when you spend at any of our thousand cafes, restaurants, dry cleaners, chemists nationally, and you pay with your existing credit or debit card, and you can link up to five, by the way, to your Super Awards account, all you need to do is pay for your coffee or pay for your meal or pay for your dry cleaning with that linked card. And then in the background, you'll you'll see the Super Awards come into your Super Awards account. And considering that women can often make up to three quarters of the consumer purchases. That, That's exactly Because right. they, they are often the ones doing this, the supermarket shopping and everything else. Not always, but often. Yes, exactly. And and the the what what we've tried to do with our in-store retailers is deliberately target a different kind of retailer to those that we have online. And what I mean by that is that let's say I, I want to shop online and I'm looking for a, a dress, right? Now I will think twice before spending three hundred dollars on a dress for me for this occasion, right? It's a very considered purchase, the one I make online. I'm doing my research, I'm you know taking my time, etc. However, if you catch me at the shops with my three children on a Saturday morning, I spend $300 without blinking. <laughs> By the time I've picked up the dry cleaning and I've maybe I've got some takeaway for, I don't know, a barbecue that we're hosting that afternoon or run into the chemist, I, I, it's so very much the in-store retailers are designed to capture the incidental spend that we all do as part of daily life mm-hmm. and running errands and admin and so on but allow you to still earn super in the process. Wow, that's fabulous. Now I have one final question for you, which is do you have a frugalista tip? I do. So my when it comes to, I, I'm going to answer it from the perspective of super and then non-super. When it comes to a super tip, I I would just say add as much as you can, as often as you can. And the best way, of course, is to do that through Super Awards. So just to give you a a sense of context there, me being me, mum of three and buying school clothes and school shoes and coordinating Christmas and booking holidays, et cetera, I've earned just under $1,500 present day value of Super Awards. But with the compounding effect, that money is going to give me another $14,000 by the time I retire. Wow, that's really significant. Yes. So it's not just, and this, this is 
sometimes why people, oh, why would I choose, you know, to add to my super? And it's like because a dollar cashback now is not just a dollar. It's worth so much more in the It is. Term. It is. That would be my tip with regards to super. With my tip for non-super, I have, I'm part of the AIA Vitality Program. Oh. And I'm not an ambassador. I need to say that. Although uh, Super Awards does have a, a corporate relationship with AIA, but they are not paying me to say this. But I'm part of the AIA Vitality Program. So essentially, you know, the more steps I take and the, the you know, the healthier I am, I earn points. And those, when I reach certain milestones of points, I earn gift certificates. So my last year, I, through all my activity, uh, just trying to be healthy and sleep right and move lots, etc. I think the total number of my of all of my gift certificates that, and I ended up redeeming them for Amazon, but I could have used them, you know, in a, a number of other places. I think I earned like $220 worth of Amazon. Wow. Dollars. I know. And that all adds up. And that's, you know, some oh, Christmas no. presents right there or some tech stuff. And or... actually, I've just twigged, not that our listeners can see it, but this top I'm wearing, my workout top, is actually, it was paid for with one of my <laughs> with my Amazon vouchers. Well, that's fabulous. It moves it forward. That's my tip. Thank you so much. It's just been such an honour to have you as a guest. So now, now where can people find you? You have an app, you have a website. Yes. So head to super-rewards.com. Sign up if you prefer website or download the app, which is available on Android and Apple. And it's free to join. And the sooner you start just channeling your shopping that you were going to do anyway through Super Rewards retailers, the, the faster you'll start growing your super balance. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for everyone for listening. Make sure to check out the Facebook group for the Joyful Frugalista. What if we... You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley.
where 